What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, December 6, 2020, and this week's episode, 2020, going down with a fight. We'll be talking about the middleweight main event last night, Jack Hermanson versus Marvin Vittori. We'll talk about a very stacked uh, week of MMA news. Leon Edwards being out and Stephen Thompson and Joff Neal being promoted to the main event. Yoel Romero and the UFC parting ways. Clarissa Shields to the PFL. And Yair Rodriguez being suspended till March. We'll close it out by looking ahead to this week's very, very good events. We'll talk about Alimale McFarlane taking on Juliana Velasquez at Bellator. And we'll close it out with the big one. UFC 256, Figueredo versus Moreno, the return of Tony Ferguson against Charles Oliveira, all that jazz. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I am here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Oh boy, we have a heck of a lineup for uh, for today's show. This is a uh... This is pretty uh, pretty heavy, right? It's been a while since we've been this this deep with, with news and uh, updates. So, pretty exciting show. It is 2020, man. I, right. I, I was like, I didn't use the 2020 going down with the fight last week. I told myself, this is the universe telling me I got to do it. Otherwise, it's going to make it worse, you know? Like, it got <laughs> angry that I did not respect its power. You get what I mean? I think it did. It said, oh, this isn't enough for you? Boom. Yep. So here, I mean, we got a whole pay-per-view and still that's the title of this week's show. So let's get to it. Um, last night, a great middleweight fight. A lot of people were like, this is a good fight, but I don't think people expect it to be anywhere near as epic as it was. Marvin Vittori, we already talked about it. He got moved up a week to fight Jack Hermanson when Kevin Holland pulled out exactly a week from fight night. Um, cuts, you know, weight cut goes fine, no trouble on the scale, steps up to fight two more rounds, and Natalie, I am absolutely impressed with his gas tank. He fought a very, very tough Jack Hermanson. Not only did he keep the fight on the feet, I feel like in, it was the second round, he had beautiful transitions, you know, we knew, I felt like a lot of people thought that Jack would have the advantage on the ground. And he just, in their one real significant grappling exchange, he just absolutely gets on top and outgrapples Jack Hermanson. Very impressive. I love Jack's hard and tenacity, but at the end of the day, the better striking. And just the physicality of Marvin Vittori got the job done. He was able to do more damage with his punches. He was able to land, in my opinion, just a few more in critical moments. And I think that got the job done. And by the end of it, you know what? He came out of it. That fight was like watching Batman versus the Joker. This was pretty good too, but just very impressive performance. He two solid competitors who brought it, and the better man just won out in the end. Yeah, the uh, the Italian dream, Bruce Wayne, I guess Marvin Vittori. I, I like it. I like the uh, the comparison there. Pretty surprising fight for sure, as far as next level excitement, not expected. First round, you know, Hermanson gets dropped, and it looks like it could have. I mean, look, it, it looked like that was going to be the end of it, but he stayed with it. And uh, by round three, though, okay, 
even though that first round was like, I think it was probably a 10 eight um, by round three, it looked like Vittori maybe was losing that gas tank. And then he came back in four. He still had some juice and he just kept putting it on Hermanson. I was surprised. I was impressed with his performance. He, you know, with that shaved head, he just looks like so intimidating. And when you think about the short notice, the weight cut early, a one week early, like adding two rounds, that's a lot. That's a lot to put on somebody. He stepped up big time, made a big impression with the UFC. So hats off to him. Jack Hermanson is super exciting to watch. So it was a bummer that he couldn't win. But I mean, he was there the whole time. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't getting bowled over. But he also, it was clear that he was losing by four and five. He he wasn't doing enough. So good on Vittori and uh, yeah, surprisingly good main event for a fight that was expected to be good, not really good. I said that shaved head Marvin Vittori, he's got like those old school Michael Bisping vibes. Like if you yeah. watch like when they do the highlights of when he was on Tough and like his early part of his UFC career, I was like, it's like the second coming of Michael Bisping right now. And he's just kind of had that, um, just his, uh, what am I trying to say? Just his body language, just like the way, he was, bit, yeah. the way he was moving, like, you know, like I'm just coming to do some damage. That's old school Bisping, so I got to acknowledge that. It could also be because both of them early in their career, they really could have used a bit of a tan, but, you know, that's just <laughs> splitting hairs. Um, yeah. uh, Vittori, he comes out and he just shoots his shot. He says he wants a piece of Paulo Costa next. I did see in the post-fight press conference, he was kind of like put all his chips in to say that he does not think Adesanya will in the end fight. Jan Blahovic at 205. So he said, I just don't think that's going to happen. So I think I should fight Adesanya next for the title. But he did also kind of like forced into it, did say, if it does happen, yes, I'm open to maybe fighting Rob Whitaker for the interim title. I think, I think it's on Rob. I think that if Vittoria is serious about it, then the way to entice Adesanya back is a interim fight with Rob Whitaker because it, uh, honestly, it's one of those cases. It's like Max Holloway at featherweight. Yes, there's other contenders, but we all know who's the consensus number two behind the champion. And it's the same thing at middleweight. I think if Vittori really wants to prove it, everything, he's going to have to fight Rob. If he's champion, his first title defense is likely to be Whitaker. So I think get that fight in, especially if Adesanya moves up. And you, really, there's nowhere else to go at middleweight. If Adesanya is going to come back down, that leaves no other option. So that would be my thinking. I don't mind Paulo Costa. That's a fun fight. That's going to be a lot of good television. But I think the math just makes sense for a Whitaker fight like next spring, maybe early summer. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I mean, that's that's exciting. And uh, Paulo Costa, I'm just thinking, <laughs> I always think of like uh, the poster. So Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori, those pretty two super muscular dudes. That would make for an exciting uh, marketing campaign. But but yeah, um, I think Marvin Vittori has done enough to, to get that Rob Whitaker fight. But, you know, I'm like not that so excited about him that like I need to like, it was a great performance last night, but I'm not, like, over the moon dying to see who he's going to fight next just yet. Um, but just looking at the rankings, Hermanson's four. They still have Romero on here, so 
we'll get oh, we'll get into that right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, awkward. Vittori, currently ranked thirteenth. So even though he did beat the number four guy, there's plenty of other people in the middle there that that would also make for interesting fights. Uh, so so we'll see what happens. I like uh, Edmund Shabazian actually. Uh, that that could be something. I feel yeah, like he could though. get the Darren Till fight if not Rob. I feel yeah, like that's a yeah. good possibility next year. And uh, yeah. we'd have to see, but he's in a great spot for sure. And for I, sure, man. Yeah. Can consider that Whitaker just beat Till. That does help his case to kind of be willing to leapfrog over Darren Till. You get what I mean? Because this is also yeah. supposed to be Darren Till's fight. Had Hermanson beaten uh, Till, for example, hypothetically, he likely would have been in the same spot to challenge Whitaker and all that um, and try to set up the Adesanya fight. So that's where I'm at with it. But okay. we'll see. I think it's timing. It's uh, what does Rob want? Is Rob also waiting to see if Adesanya comes back down? So that's something. Uh, real quick, Natalie, three fights scrapped the day of. Like, uh, And I'll be honest, I always post the lineup. When I do my prediction posts and be like, okay, who's going to win? This is fight night. This is everybody fighting. And I notice UFC is just dragging their feet. They just don't want to post the one with all of the matchups on that nice <laughs> little graphic that they do that's nice and clean and convenient. And yeah. then I'm like, dude, the, is the social media guy, did he forget to line it up? Did he forget to get the graphic and post it? Like, what's going on? And then you find out why... Um, I'm not going to get into a whole thing because, once again, it's not that kind of show. The only thing I can say bluntly is that there are more and more people getting out. There is more and more, you know, the Rona. There's there's just more of it floating around. And it's just making its way to people because I don't know what else you could could call it that we've had just this very visible uptick in positive cases. I just don't know what else you could say it is. Yeah, people are just, it's Christmas, that's when you want to be together, and, you know, Thanksgiving came, and people either went with their families or didn't, and if they didn't, maybe they're a little frustrated, and so everyone's just kind of trying to... People still trying to go get their TV at Best Buy and the electronics store. Yeah, man, store. just trying to live their lives, like, we're social creatures, it is what it is, I guess, and so, yeah, the numbers are, 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 are climbing, no doubt, uh, but, you know, considering that the, the car lost so many fights last minute like they were really gonna gonna stick to their time schedules on espn because they <laughs> drag that out man <laughs> i saw who was it i was like coming in and out of the room so you know it didn't it didn't hit me as hard until i looked at the clock and i was like this thing hasn't started yet like <laughs> what are they doing and then i saw amy kaplan uh, her tweets about like it's like 30 minutes 40 minutes in still no fights like it was I mean, they're doing like, what they had to on, do, right? Like, get on with it, John Anik. <laughs> get I mean, him out, like, dude, get him out like, of here already. Seriously, do something. Like, woo. But they hey, had to fill time. A satellite called Joe Rogan to do some jokes <laughs> virtually. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's funny. I, I noticed the same, too. By the way, and it also was going head-to-head with Spence versus Danny Garcia, so I, yeah. I, I found that interesting because I felt like they really could have stole the show. The fights themselves, there were some great finishes. There were some good good yeah. performances by guys on there. So. Who was the but, guy that got slammed uh, unconscious? Oh, <laughs> man. What, he did it to... What's his name? 
I can't remember, but he kind of looked like Michael Bisping to me too. Oh my of. gosh. Yes, a uh, good one. It's blanking on me, but yes, that was yeah. probably one of the better knockouts. Oh, by the way, I know we have so many uh, fight of the year contenders. Vittori Hermanson would be very, very close to the top any other year. It's just that we also had Joanna Lee, Dustin Hooker. Um, but let me just give it its due. That was a damn good main event. It, it deserves consideration at the end of the year, if you ask me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about the MMA news. We got a ton of it. Uh, Leon Edwards, you know what? That uh, Pour one out for this man. He is Jesus. out of the fight with Hamzat Chemaev this Saturday. The news comes out about middle of the week last week. I forgot to write it down, but positive for COVID. Apparently a rough time. Okamoto says he lost like 12 pounds in four days. I mean, he's not cutting weight yet, people. That is pure illness hurting him. So, uh, before anything, best wishes, Leon. I think it's a good thing to say that he was trying to do things the most just efficient way for himself and to put himself in the best positions in 2020. And just sometimes you get bad luck. So, I want to acknowledge that. But, um... Yeah, just very bluntly, they are moving on. Wonderboy and Joff Neal are going to now be a five-round main event. They were going to be three rounds on the undercard. They're stepping up to the headliner. Um, just what are your thoughts for Leon and this thought about, you know, it looks like they want to keep the Hamzat fight moving forward in 2021. I mean, the guy needs like a, a per- he has like a permanent like trumpet player standing behind him going, wah, wah, because he can't catch a break, man. This is just... You know, well, look, at some point you just got to say, all right, 2020, like, you know, I'm done with you and move on the the dumpster fire that is 2020. So, uh, geez, I I think it's it sucks to hear that he's having a hard time with with the covid. And it's a reminder that, like, you know, it 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 hurts. It can hit you really hard, even if you're someone who's in, you know, presumably the best shape, like someone who's an MMA fighter would be you would think in excellent shape. You know, the, the stories are usually, oh, if you're in poor condition, this is when it hits you hard. But no, nah, man, it's it's like equal opportunity, uh, you know, destroyer this uh, this Rona is. So it sucks for him. Um, good news, I guess, for Stephen Thompson, put him back in the limelight. He's one of my favorite fighters. And, uh, you know, of course, he would uh, he would take the fight, add the extra two rounds, move up to main event. You can just imagine him saying, let's go, baby, let's go, like just without hesitation. So. That, that'll be fun. I always love seeing him fight. But um, really, I'm just thinking, like, I hope Leon Edwards comes out of this. Like, you keep reading news about Cody Garbrandt still having stuff for suffering side effects, mental fog, fatigue. Like, that stuff's real, man, and it sucks. It sucks when you – when the, you, how you make your money is is using your body, and your body's not cooperating. So um, just a bummer for Leon Edwards in general, man. Yeah, I, I think that – um. I don't know. Uh, this creates an interesting situation because I feel like had he gotten past Hamzat that now you would have had for sure the um, the backup spot locked in if they are still, you know, set on Usman and Burns. I wouldn't have counted out the possibility of him finally leapfrogging past Gilbert Burns um, again had he gotten the win, but that's going to be neither here nor there now. What I will say is that for Wonderboy next week, it's like, and, you know, Joff Neal to an extent, you now create a situation that, um, you know, if 
let's say Wonder Boy just comes out, looks fantastic, you know, is like what, what does that now create a situation that let's say Leon were to beat Hamzat or Hamzat wins? Is that now you know your title shot isn't locked in? You are most likely going to be neck and neck with uh, Stephen Thompson, depending on what the schedule looks like next year. So that creates a very difficult situation for the guys who've been putting work in. So yeah, I'm very um very intrigued by that now because that creates a situation. We still don't know when Usman will be back to fight Gilbert. Keep that in mind. So we are hoping first quarter 2021. But Natalie, I'll be honest, the more like the calendar moves and we don't hear about it, I start to think it's like, I don't really know if any of these, if something's going on. I feel like we could, we may not see Usman till the summer because yeah, he's been so what quiet. Is the issue? He injured, I think, his shoulder or his hands, and they were still dealing with it after the Masvidal fight. Okay. So I don't know what... I, I felt like he had a similar thing going on before he had his first title fight against Colby last year. So I, my point is that I get worried because it's like, once again, you have a situation where all of these guys are right there for the title. But the, their timeline just keeps getting moved back. And that gives a situation where more of these top contenders can suddenly make it a bottleneck at the top. So that's what I'm saying is possibly going to happen at welterweight. Yeah, I mean, do you smell an interim title on, on, on the horizon there? Because, yeah, you've got freaking Jorge Mazadal on the cover of you know UFC 4 and he's... I will also you know. say Jorge is... They seem set on Jorge Colby, but there's no movement there and I just for the life of me don't know why so um only if if Usman if Usman doesn't come back by July I could see some business happening some dude July's stuff. a long ways away yes wow. but you know like the, you know they don't like doing it too often unless you really need it unless it's really gonna put a card over the top so I will acknowledge that but no, we'll just have to wait and see. We had another big one talking about uh, you know, crazy changes uh, in the Jeez. lineup. Yoel Romero is officially a free agent. He is back on the market. He has parted ways with the UFC. Uh, it was announced late Friday night, like after dinner Friday night. That's how you know it was breaking news. Um, and just uh, reportedly, he had three fights left on his contract. Uh, Dana White and I'll say to an extent the reports I heard it wasn't an altogether one-sided thing it was a bit of almost mutual um, which uh, we're going to get into in a second but uh, you know he's been in the UFC I believe since 2013 he had technically four fights scheduled for the belt he only got to challenge three times he missed weight against Luke Rockhold in Australia that you know a year ago, a year and a half ago now, if I remember right. Um, two fights with Whitaker, this year's fight with Adesanya. And um, not for nothing, his last victory in the UFC was that knockout over Luke Rockhold. Um, he's going to have a lot of uh, suitors on the free agent, but I want to bring up more of the point. They asked Dana White about it, and he says that this is kind of a sign he said that they're planning to cut roughly 60 people before the end of the year and he did use the word that currently the roster is quote inflated 
I do have some thoughts about that because he has been signing a lot of contender series fighters this year. So let's talk. First off, thoughts on Romero. His last fight was a high profile championship fight, pay per view headliner. You remember he had that big ESPN interview, you know, go, go, Muhammad Ali, dirty boxing. All that stuff, everyone got really into it, right? This is a big fight. People were like, ah, oh, this is going to be a good one. And his next fight after that, he gets released. There was that weird stuff. Why did he not fight Uriah Hall? We never got a reason why. But the fact is, most people don't get cut right after a fight like that. It's very rare that that happens, especially for a guy who's established. He's one of the top guys in the world in his weight class, currently still. Yeah, very strange. My first thought was like, well, I guess the UFC is like, you know, looking to, to save some money wherever they can and weren't willing to fight for, for Romero. But if he had three fights left, like, so I don't know what the deal was, right? Was he trying to renegotiate um, because he knew he could get money, some more money somewhere else? And they said, listen, go, you know, peace be with you. Like, go get your money because we're about to fire a bunch of fighters or I guess not fire. Uh, what do you call it um, when they're independent contractors? But anyway, um, yeah, man, it's surprising, but also not surprising. Like the Corey Anderson um, release was was the first one that got my wheel spinning about the UFC's. Um, you know, I guess it's the 2020 thing. You know, they're they're losing money because they don't have gates and 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 all that extra stuff that comes with it, and so they'll they'll save money where they can. So surprising because he's. Even if he doesn't fight for, you know, a year, he's still an exciting fighter. He's still a name. People want to see him fight because he has that amazing physique. He's like, you know, like the Bernard Hopkins of MMA, right? Like the alien. Like he's he's older than most, but he still fights like he's younger than most. Um, it's just it's just crazy, man. Like the the UFC, like not that long ago, like they would have rather sat on a fighter, made him or her, you know, sit in the corner and not get to fight anyone, then relinquish them and give them their freedom to go fight somewhere else. And so the, the fact that they did it with Corey Anderson and Yoel Romero, it's just, you know, it's just kind of a sign of at least this year, maybe a little bit of next year, or maybe the new UFC in general, where they're willing to let go of big names because they're building up, they're building up these young guys and girls from the, uh, um, from the contender series. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? So, it's a little complicated, so strap in for the ride. What I will say is that, and we saw this a bit with Ryan Bader, although he went in free agency, the UFC does acknowledge when you have a situation where I think you have a guy who's just really kind of, he's kind of gotten to the end of the line. And what I mean by that is, yes, Joe Romero is still elite. But he's 44 years old, and I think that if you're Yoel Romero, here's the reality. You have three fights left. You are not likely to get a title shot within three fights. He's lost twice to Rob. The Adesanya fight went the way it did. People are not clamoring to see those two fight again, plain and simple. That even if he were to get, let's say, two straight finishes, number three is not going to be, oh yeah, I'm really dying to see... uh, Yo Romero fight Izzy again. There's so much going on in middleweight right now. So 
I think that there was this impression that even if they were to try to just book out, make him fight out his contract fast, Yo Romero is 44 years old. And I think the fact is, if you know you're not going to fight for the UFC title again, do you still want to keep doing this? Or do you want to see like, hey, you know, if I only got, let's say he's only got another year left-ish, something like that. Let's say, you know, his fountain of youth runs out. And I know what that sounds like because it seems like he's got a whole ocean worth of it to keep drinking. Do you want to still do the UFC thing for about a year and a half? Or now, let's be honest, he could be fighting for the Bellator title this time next year. I mean, you talk, you tell me right now, if Yo Romero goes to Bellator, let's, I'll just say bluntly, he's a bigger deal than Corey Anderson going over. He oh, goes yeah. over there. I, you know, no offense, but I'm not interested in seeing who, who they had lined up for gay guard. I say Romero Musasi. We never saw it in UFC. If anything, Musasi left because the UFC was more invested in Romero at the top than they were him. You've got those options. If he wants to move up, PFL, they didn't do a 185 tournament, you know, they could bring it back, chance to fight for a million dollars. He moves up, less weight cut issues, 205 tournament, that's all an option. One, Ryzen, all of those are options. He thinks about it short term. If I only have a short term left of my career at this stage in the game, I'd rather you cut me now so I could try to add that to my career late rather than, hey, let me see how I feel after I fight these three more middle-of-the-pack guys in UFC at this point. I think that that's a situation. Now, are you with me so far? Yeah, oh yeah. I will point out that if you're UFC, we saw, we saw this with Ryan Bader, Liz Carmuch. I do believe Corey Anderson was getting to that point. You have guys who have been in the UFC a while. They've been in big fights. They've had their opportunities. They've had the shot to really get over the hump, right? And it just doesn't happen. And they kind of get to a point where it feels like, you know what? It's just, you're great, but the times, the opportunities for you to really jump to that next level at this point, maybe they're starting to get lower. You know, it may just not happen. And it's just very bluntly, you know, they will feel like, hey, look, are we keeping somebody who's going to stop somebody else from getting to the top? And now that creates the situation, well, don't you want the best fighters if they're the best and they're still winning those kinds of fights? The UFC also sees it as like, look, you know, the fact is we've kind of gone, you know, you've gone about as big as you're going to get. Are you worth it to us to keep or are you now getting in the way of, let's say, the Darren Tills and the Marvin Vittori's possibly getting a title shot at middleweight of Yoel Romero? And that, I think, is why they make these kinds of decisions. In Yoel Romero's case, it makes more sense because he has more immediate opportunities on the free market, easily. Maybe some of these other guys that we're going to see veterans in that situation, and maybe some new people who, you know, they haven't gotten to the hot start. Not everyone can be Hamzat. Um, we may see that happen also. We see, um, It's not unheard of, so... I do think it's that kind of situation for the UFC and for these fighters involved is that sometimes you end up in that position where they feel like, look, you know, it's like when you have a great coach um, and he's let go. It's like, yeah, he's great, 
but at this point we feel like we're going to get the same return bringing in a fresh face than we do getting a veteran in to try to keep doing their thing. And it's cheaper. Yes, that is a very real thing is that not all of the contracts, you know, they're likely to offload some of those veteran contracts who are in this position, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and you laid it out really well. Definitely Yoel Romero was going to be blocking some of these younger guys from getting to the title shot because he could probably still beat half of them and, and make things difficult. Also, um, you know, the fight with Adesanya was not fun, not good. So why do you want to let him be up there um, making a, another case for himself to get that title shot when nobody wants to see it? Um, so, yeah, it makes sense for both parties. And Bellator is really good at making the most of big names coming from the UFC, um, going over to their promotion, especially someone like Gil Romero. Like, it's just ripe with opportunities. So uh, if he goes to Bellator... PFL though, I mean, we'll get into it next, but they're doing some 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 good signings too, some big signings. So uh, there's options options for the man, and I think uh, his manager probably saw the uh, the dollar signs. End of the career, might as well get the most money you can. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I will miss those Yel Romero open workouts though, man. <laughs> you, you know what there's a memorable moment uh before your time on the show we were talking about that workout and it's like you know everyone asks what do i look at look like with the shirt off and i was like man yo romero open workout it was like looking in a mirror i swear <laughs> it was uncanny just like wow. his muscles my muscles i mean really it's like yo it's like i think i, I almost t- tweeted him it's like are we related yoel i mean it's like just so crazy. You look just like me with my shirt off. It's you should shave wild. your head. You yeah. know, I still like it. <laughs> um, Don't forget Jesus. Come on there's, now. <laughs> there's good. There's good stuff for Yell Romero in the future mm-hmm. for sure. I think that uh, I'm very interested to see how it plays out. I do hope we hear from about him going somewhere soon. Um, let's talk some PFL. The most PFL I think we'll be talking in a minute. Um, they have announced they are signing the number one women's boxer in the world today, Clarissa T-Rex Shields. I love that nickname. I am surprised there are not more T-Rex in the fight game because really it just sounds cool. Um, she has signed a um, contract to fight with PFL. She's going to fight at lightweight, but she is not part of a tournament. She is going to do one-off fights, just like Kayla Harrison about two years ago, because she is still going to be taking boxing fights. She does still have a deal with Showtime for her fights, so um, I think that that is very interesting. I think that, very bluntly, there are still big fights for Clarissa. I think she still is very um, lucrative in terms of her boxing career, so quite bluntly, Although a million dollars is nice, I do think that she's acknowledging that's like, look, I don't want to be locked into a PFL schedule if they're going to have a good boxing fight for me. I want the freedom to do both as I please. So first off, what are your thoughts? This is another two-time Olympian. This is a girl who has, you know, she's big, she's long, she's powerful. And let's just say it, she's got some of the best hands in women's boxing today. What are your thoughts on this signing for PFL? Stunning, uh, smart. Those are my first uh, two thoughts. But yeah, Clarissa Shields, probably the greatest female boxer. I mean, period. Two-time Olympic gold medalist. Like, not 
most people, most Olympians can, you know, can't, can't say get that, one. Right? You, they can't get one. <laughs> they can't get one, you know. And so, so great, great marketing for PFL to have two, two-time Olympic gold medalists, female gold medalists on their roster. Like that's amazing. Elite, like you know, pride of the of of our country, both of them. So that's amazing. Smart move for PFL. But oh my God, I thought Clarissa Shields, like. What does she know of MMA? This is not, I mean, look, we all know it's, it's not the same punching in MMA. Even if you're the greatest boxer on in, in the, in the ring, uh, punching in a cage is, is not the same. Right. But she's extremely intelligent. She's a great learner. She's an amazing athlete. All the attributes you need to make a transition to MMA. Kayla Harrison is doing it. And so why can't Clarissa Shields do it as well? She's with at least right now, I see pictures of her over at Jackson Wink, right? So that's a great camp to be at. Holly Holm, what, a, what, a, what an amazing person to, to learn alongside. Um, taking pictures with... Um, Jones. I can't remember his name. John Jones, thank you. Bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, you got Michelle Watterson there. You I mean, almost got a, your card revoked there, Natalie. <laughs> I, know, I, was, I was just picturing his stupid lion picture um, on, on his... Uh, yeah, yeah, I hate that photo. So anyway. Are we, um, right, go ahead. Michelle Watterson, Karate Hottie. Yeah, so, it, it, you know, it's a great place for her to be feel, um, you know, to be welcomed into the MMA world, to learn from nurturing, caring people who are also really good. And let's not forget how amazing Holly Holm and Michelle Watterson have looked in their last two fights. So I'm excited to see how she develops. But this is, you know, this is this is sketchy. This is a nerve wracking thing for me, because if you spend your whole life in a boxer stance, now you got to learn how to throw kicks and how to defend a takedown. Like you can be an intelligent athlete and gen- and generally have a sense of how to do those things and how to move your body and how to take direction, and how to be coached. But, man, you know, it's. It's one thing to, to do that and one and another thing to be ready, um, you know, next year to start fighting someone who's been training MMA for, you know, even a year longer than you have is enough to make it difficult, right? So I'm excited to see how this shakes out. I'm also nervous because, you know, what it shows is actually humility because it's, it, you know, it can be very humbling to be the, the best female boxer, two-time gold medalist, and then go into MMA and get your butt handed to you. That could happen, right? Like, let's not pretend that's not a really big possibility. So she's showing humility. She's also showing that she wants to continue fighting in combat sports, but is aware that there's not a whole lot of action in boxing, even though she, you know, can still get a good fight here and there. The money is in MMA, and um, she's a big enough name that she'll be getting good money right off the start. And if she's a PFL and eventually joins that tournament, there's a big, you know, pot of gold at the end of that rainbow if she wins. But imagine if we get to the day where Clarissa Shields fights Kayla Harrison for the for the million dollars at the end of a year, at the end of one of their seasons. That would be pretty awesome, right? That's 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 amazing marketing. That well, you can see how they would run the marketing campaign for that and send these two-time Olympic gold medalists all over talking about how they're gonna fight. You get a lot of attention there. So if you're looking at the big picture, that's an exciting fight. I'm about to hit you with an even bigger picture, unfortunately. So first off, okay. um, I, I love Clarissa Shields uh, coming in. I think it's great. I think, it, you know, by all means, go g- secure the bag, Miss Shields. Go, go get after it. Get the Brontosaurus T-Rex and just chow down. <laughs> yep. No one's going to want to throw hands with her, for sure. 
Yeah. I will say this. The thing that helped Kayla Harrison is that it is much easier to get into this when you have a great grappling base because if you are that good, you tend to be able to hold your people down. Also, yep. Kayla Harrison's a very big and powerful athlete. I mean, we've seen her. I mean, broad shoulders, just a strong woman. She She's gets you down. She yeah. can keep you there. Clarissa Shields, if you, you put her with a good wrestler, I'm not saying great. I'm not saying Habib here. Yeah. The, I mean, how long have you really been working your wrestling? Because anyone will tell you, you could do it all day. It's very different when you're up against somebody who's just has it. And look, she's going to be yeah. working. She's got to be working it six days a week. How can she not? It takes time. And now she's got a couple months. But still, we know exactly what people are going to try to do to beat Clarissa Shields. Especially mm -hmm. in PFL, where you are not penalized for going out there and winning the fight however you need to. That's their big hook. That's what all their fighters say, remember? So that yeah. I, I will put that caveat out there. I can't wait to see her throw hands. That's going to be the last thing you want to win people are going to do for the first year and a half or two of her career. PFL. I'll be honest. I, my answer would be very different about three weeks ago. Because with the Kayla Harrison stuff, I think the big conclusion that we both came to and agreed on is that we're not very confident that they're going to keep Kayla Harrison after next yep. year. If they can... They can just make the Kayla-Clarissa fight randomly. That's completely within their power. However, if Kayla's on her way out, and she's a great grappler, do you really want to risk doing that to Clarissa? Because I don't think they're going to immediately match her with girls who are going to be great wrestlers right off the bat, if I'm being quite honest with you. So I do think that no. there is that situation at the end of this in the coming year. Secondly, and I really, they didn't mention it, but it occurred to me, oh, wait, what if this were to happen? Who did they build the 155 division around? Kayla. If Kayla's leaving, look, they already got rid of the middleweight division. We just talked about it with Yo Romero. And mind you, it could have been just a one-year thing. I forget their plans for 2020, if I'm being honest. I'd have to double check. But... If they feel like there's going to be no Kayla Harrison after 2021, is it in her contract that she's always in a tournament or is it in her contract that she just gets fights? Because if they just are going to do fights, what if there's no 155 pound tournament next year and it's just one-offs for all the women? Well, that would actually probably be better for Clarissa. I mean, next year she's not going to be in the tournament anyway, but you know, it would be better for her to just grow develop as an mma fighter you know without having to deal with the pressure and and well the pressure of the of being in the tournament and like embarrassment like if she gets knocked out in the first round well then what right so like let her just build herself up as an mma fighter in the um in the pfl without being part of the tournament and yeah you make a great point about about kayla harrison they 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 basically burned a bridge with her it looks like you know it feels that way like she's ready to just move on with her life and go to another promotion We'll see what happens. So I'm wondering if how she views this, right? Does she view it as they're 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 signing my replacement? Like they want the next big Olympian to be their the face because they know I'm gonna leave, or are they enticing me to stay by hoping that, you know, I'll be patient and wait for her 
for Clarissa to be good enough to, uh, you know, be good enough to sort of be like eligible to get in the cage with me and then I'll just take her down and, and that'll be it. So I'm curious how Kayla feels about this, but um, yeah, of course, Clarissa Shields, as amazing as she is on the feet, like, man, take her down and she's not going to know the first thing to do to get herself back up, even with training. Like that stuff has to be burned into your brain with years and years of reps. So I hope that they do generous matchmaking for her. Um, you know, if the they bat, really want least. her to stay in MMA, yeah, like, you know, put her against people that want to stay on their feet, that have more of a boxing background. Um, because, like, it could be embarrassing, man. It could be really embarrassing and demoralizing if she just gets held down and punched in the face over and over again, like, she can be motivated after a loss like that to want to get better at wrestling, but it's still going to take a really long time, especially if she still wants to keep herself ready to do pure boxing. Like you can't do both. Think of, um, Oh boy. Feather I can't Hardy. remember his name now. No, no, no. Um, Schilling, Joe Schilling. Yeah. You know, the kickboxing and MMA, right? Like how he was trying to sort of dance in the middle between both and both careers suffered. And when he finally started to give himself all into MMA, he did a lot better, but it was a little bit too late and Bellator moved on um, eventually. So, you know, that that's the risk is that if you're if you're trying to do both, like you're never going to get really good at MMA and you're going to probably your, your boxing will probably suffer a little bit, too. We're going to be in a very interesting situation because I yeah. just um, I'm going to go on the record now. I am not completely confident in any particular uh, outcome in terms of their schedule for 2021. Because, you know, depending on tournament, no tournament, it's like there could be uh, some weird just pacing for both women, Shields and Kayla. So uh, I'm just very interested to see it. I want to see how what are they committing to this coming year in terms of that because we just know they're coming back we know the champions are coming back but there's a difference between saying the champions are coming back and the tournament is coming back for them so hmm. we will figure this out soon enough and um but yeah i, I do believe they're gonna throw clarissa they're gonna close now it's a dinosaur pun they're gonna throw clarissa a bone so <laughs> Um, <laughs> I didn't expect that and I realize it as it's coming out of my mouth, um, early on, just like with Kayla Harrison, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, real quick, Kayla Harrison, she is trying to get onto what it'll be about two weeks from now. She's yeah. trying to get on that Titan FC card and she's saying, look, Ali Abdelaziz and Dominance MMA, they'll even pay for your That's purse. crazy, dude. Um. I'm shocked, but I'm like, you're telling me all the women out there, you can't find somebody who wants to try to just slay Goliath? Quick yeah, paycheck? Unreal. It feels like, you, you know, it feels yeah, like sorry, it's a win-win situation. You lose, well, we're, we're fighting Kayla Harrison. You're not a big deal. You know, you got more exposure, if anything. You win, dude, dude, dude yeah. you probably getting a UFC or Bellator deal, contender series, something next year if you take the fight and you beat her on short notice what's up what about like did we talk about this like do you think that the uf the pfl had like a you can't do a one-off with ufc or maybe ufc is oh, yeah. interested in that because remember they talked sorry. about it they can't do it 
because they're like, nah, the, don't don't be trying no screwy business there. Like, you can't bring money to the competitor. Yeah, because I'm just thinking like a Megan Anderson, like somebody, and you know, well, somebody. There's only two, but Megan Anderson <laughs> or Felicia Spencer. Of course, they would have done it. One off, big. You know, you just make a big to do out of it for one fight. Kayla Harrison, one time, one time appearance. Blah blah blah. I mean, you know, even Bellator, like it sucks that that they they couldn't get her the big promotion one fight. Um, like man, it's 2020. Like everyone just just shake hands and just do something cool, and then you guys can all go back to f- competing against each other once the fight's over. But come on, man, she's too special to keep her. She's too special to have her asking for fights on Twitter, right? Yeah. Well, on the record, that's on PFL's side. That's not... I'm sure Ali and the rest wouldn't mind Kayla possibly shaking up things in Bellator and then taking her stock back to PFL. That that was on the PFL side, not her. But I agree with you. To me, it's just like some... You're really telling me there's nobody out there? I mean, I know there's not a million featherweights, respectfully, but really? Not one? Like, not even that one? Or this one? Like, that that's what crosses my mind when I think she can't get a fight. So, yeah. or unless they are honestly, I, I don't know. It's like, I feel like, hey, look, I'm not saying you got to give her opponent a million dollars, but you're telling me that, you know, if you're on the, you know, local scene, you can't, you know, throw somebody an extra kickback with some money to take the fight. Because I understand, like, you don't want to beat her and then you still don't have money for rent and car payments, right? You know, I understand that side, but I feel like, come on, all that dominance MMA money, if someone's willing to take it and they're asking for a little kick, I'm sure you can handle it. Anyway, moving on, uh, real (laughs) quick before we uh, get to all the fights, Yair Rodriguez, out till March for a USADA violation not a failed test, but reportedly, he just didn't update the app. So, uh, as I understand it, real quick, USADA, all the fighters uh, in UFC, you update your location in an app. And the way that app works is that, reportedly, it's not the most user-friendly. You have to put your entire schedule where you will be three months in advance. And that includes everything. So if you go out to dinner, if you go to the gym, if you're going to cross-train early, late, this becomes an issue. And several people have talked about, well, I was out of town, I was in the big city for something, I was out to dinner. Stuff like that happens, and they have gotten strikes on USADA. You don't automatically fail a test for not being where you said you would be, because obviously, you know, if they don't find substances, you're not violating but you add these no-shows and missed appointments, that's what will eventually cause a suspension. And reportedly, that's what happened to Yair Rodriguez. And Natalie, this bothered me because I realized that what happened, it happened to him in late September. When was he going to fight Zabit? October. And so it just felt like cruel and unusual punishment that in the end, it seems like this was the reason why he didn't fight Zabit at the big Abu Dhabi card that I'll just say it, I was going to be at. <laughs> anyway, now that I've gotten that out of my system, what are your thoughts? Dude, BS. That was my first thought. It's like, <clears throat> these guys are the elite of the elite. And 
they have to be like telling somebody where they're going to be every second of every day. I could see how that would get really annoying really fast. So it's actually shocking to me that more fighters haven't gotten suspended for this because can you imagine if like you had to, to do that? Like you have to do it. I didn't even know three months in advance. That's what Lauren Murphy said is that, you know, like you've got to plan out all that. And I, she kind of implied that if you, you know, like if you got to change it, you got to do the whole thing all over again. You can't just be like, oh, next Monday, visiting grandma out of town. That's so stum- unreal, dude. That's, yeah. There's got to be, I'm sorry, but you saw that, like, you're getting all these guys. You can find somebody to update that. That should be a possibility. Like, that's, at least, by the, usual, at least by the week, you know? You should be able to update that within, like, 24 hours. And there yeah. should be, like, um, you know, if you have to do some last-minute ones, like, you can have, like, f- 10 last-minute ones in a month or something. Because that's life, man. Like, come yeah. on. Especially right now when you're probably just scrambling to be able to find a place to train or who knows. This is ridiculous. And it's ridiculous that someone like as talented as Yair Rodriguez is getting suspended for six months you know, from September. Okay, fine. For this, the UFC has to have, well, they don't have their backs, but like, shouldn't the, can't the USC, UFC step in and say like, guys, come on, like fix your app. Like um, this is, this is, you know, fighters don't have representation, uh, collective bargaining, right? They have individual managers, and and those guys aren't getting together. They're just looking out for their own clients. But someone has to come and and force USADA to update this this app to make it easier for fighters to update uh, their locations. It's really unfair. Now I don't know a whole lot about it, so I'm going to go and educate myself before I before I talk out of my butt. But like this seems really like cruel and unusual punishment. Um, <clears throat> really dumb. Also, just stupid that you would have a fighter like Yair out of competition, ineligible to compete because, you know, he went to go eat some some food and forgot to tell his stupid app that he was going to eat some food. Come on, guys. Well, yeah, he had to have done it multiple times, right? But he seems like the kind of guy who at some point was just like, screw it, I'm not going <laughs> to update this stupid thing anymore. But you know, what, silly, I will, what I will say about it is that... Um... I understand a little bit of devil's advocate. You, uh, uh, all the fighters who are able to do it, and it's like, look, I know it sucks, but like, you know, I get it together. Wh- why can't you? And, and I understand that to a bit of, bit of an extent. There, look, it's a great job, but like any job, there's, you know, there's things you like doing a lot less than other parts of your job, right? I think we can all relate to that. I do feel like this is one of them. There's weight cutting, maybe there's long flights, and then there's USADA. And I think those are the three things UFC fighters complain about most about being a UFC fighter. And, you know, and mind you, two of those things are for any fighter, not specifically UFC. So, I just find it unfortunate. I really do hope, I would hope that this is a sign. I hope some very smart, very passionate MMA fans who are good at web developing and app developing are like, hey, can we talk? Because I got some ideas. And hey, wouldn't that be nice? So, anyway. 
we will figure that out. But yeah, unfortunately, that means that we will not see Yair um, until at least March. And I'm assuming we'll figure out what's going on. I know Zombie said, well, hey, put me in there with Zabit. I don't know about that yet, but I'll just say this. We also haven't seen, seen Zabit in over a year now, too. So we're going to have to figure out what happens. probably lost his phone. Oh, gosh. <laughs> You're bad. But anyway, we'll find out. But yeah, I just found that very interesting considering Dana White was so cryptic. Um, Natalie, it is finally time. Let's start with the uh, the warm-up to Fight Week. Bellator 254. <laughs> uh, this one, long time in the making. Alima Leigh McFarlane versus Juliana Velasquez. They will be headlining what will now be the final Bellator event of 2020. So I think that that's a very nice distinction for the ladies. Um, just, you know, I'm going to get right into it. I think that Juliana, at least against the competition we've seen, she is probably the closest to Valentina Shevchenko outside of the UFC. What I mean by that, well-roundedness, but also physicality. She is just a strong, powerful woman. She just seems to do more damage with her shots than any of the other flyweights I've seen in Bellator. And she's well-rounded. Jiu-Jitsu background, good striking. Against Alima, you have a you know, very well-conditioned, very good grappler, great wrestler. I think that her ability to just get you to the mat is probably the best in the Bellator division. Um, but she's up against a very, very dangerous opponent. I think that really, and um, and I say this frequently, and but I think that very bluntly, she's going to have to turn into the female Habib. You, she's really going to have to just wear on Juliana, get her against the fence, wear her down, make her carry her weight, get on the ground, and just ground and pound. Don't try to grapple with her. Don't try to prove anything. Just score points, soften her up with blows, and lather, rinse, repeat. Because if Juliana keeps her at mid-range or gets on top of Alima, I think that that's, you know, that could be a wrap in that uh, department. So I think it's going to be a very, um, it's a very competitive fight. It's a very dangerous fight. And um, I think that's why it took so long to happen is that they have it feeling like much bigger stakes now. Oh, double G. I'm completely with you. <laughs> this is um, this is going to be Alima's toughest challenge for sure. And uh, female Khabib, you nailed it. She's got to hold on for dear life. So, um, and, and, you know, not only is her belt on the line, the, the record's on the line. They're both undefeated, 10-0 for Alima, 11-0 for Juliana. So so that's that's an extra little fun thing to look to, you know, if you want to gamble, to gamble on, <laughs> to bet on. But, um, yeah, man, this is tough. You, you laid it out perfectly, like, Alima's just got to take her down, hold her down. And you got to do that for five rounds because I don't think she's going to be able to finish her. Um, just because, you know, Juliana's a grappler too. She's got that grappling background. Or judo, I should say. But, I mean, that's grappling, but yeah. Um, yeah, man, this is tough. This fight usually happens in Hawaii. So I wonder if that's going to, you know, have any, make any kind of difference for Alima Lay as far as her mindset, you know, how she usually goes into this uh, end of the end of the year. But, you know, we've all been doing the 2020 dance. And so I would venture that she's just as prepared to do this fight um, as the rest of us are prepared to do a weird, you know, she's prepared to do a weird non-traditional December fight as we're, 
as just as we're prepared to do a weird non-traditional, you know, holiday Christmas or whatever. So we're all having to make adjustments. Not that I'm comparing our lives to hers, but um, this is just the year, right? The dumpster fire year of 2020. But Go ahead. it's a challenge. It's a challenge. That's all I'm going to say. It's a challenge. You laid it out. And uh, and yeah, so it's actually going to be a really exciting fight. It's going to be your toughest challenge. She did well against um, Valerie Letourneau. She busted Vita Arniaga's face open, forehead open. So like there's things she can do, but this lady is very well-rounded. Sorry, man. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm sure it bothered Alima back in March, but I'm pretty sure she knew by June that she's not going back to Hawaii yeah, this year. Hawaii. Yeah. My point is she's had a lot of time to uh, accept Correct. this. as have we all. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I'm going to just... Every time I look at it, I just see Juliana being ready for that wrestling. I just really, really do. And I think that... um. You know, Elima's going to get gritty. She's going to be tough. She's going to go to defend that crown. But I think that this is a long time coming for Juliana. I spoke with her and I just, uh, that girl's ready. And so I, I, I just think that stylistically she's just a bad matchup for Elima. So I'm going to go Juliana for the win. Uh, Elima Zoe will be the one that goes. Ooh, man. I have such nostalgia for. Alima in general um, and for her fight in Hawaii because for the hundredth time I was there when she fought <laughs> Valerie Letourneau. Uh, it was very memorable. That's a for big me. deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. And um, so it's hard for me to tell the truth, um, which is that, yeah, I, I think Juliana Velasquez is going to beat her, take her belt, take her own. Um, there's just no other way I can see that. Because I, do, because I don't think Alima can hold her down for five rounds. Hold her down, keep her down. That's just too much to ask. With someone who, as soon as they get on their feet, is going to strike really well against you. And as good as Alima Lay is, I don't, you know, she, she, she can't um, return fire uh, with the same. She's not going to be able to overpower her back yeah. at it. Because I will say, Alima, I do keep her... She's a very tough... Uh, you know, I don't think she gets credit for just how consistent she is at improving and being a solid athlete herself. But, you know, it, it's just like when you see some of these other guys and girls, it's like that individual is just stronger. They are just harder to overpower in there if you don't yeah. have the... Uh, acumen on the feet or something like that so i think that that's what Lima's going to find out there when if julian is prepared for the takedowns yeah it's gonna I'm be going, good though oh it's go ahead go, yeah i'm picking no i'm picking juliana too um it's hard for me to even picture her finishing alimale so i think she's just gonna be like it's hard for me to picture it because like i don't want to see it um but uh so i think it's gonna be a decision um for Juliana Velasquez. What did you, what did you, how did you say it was going to end? I didn't, but I'm going to go oh. second round TKO. Oh, boy. I think that Blood she's going to put a good combo together and that might massacre. be a wrap. Yeah. Okay. I didn't well, say a I'm, massacre. I just said. I mean, <laughs> round two, that means a massacre. That, okay. You know what? Not everything, you know. That just Not will be. Has to be so dark. That just will be <laughs> when the timing comes together for her. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> um, clean bloodless uh, victory okay all right hey, let's oh. get into the good stuff huh we're, okay. we're but um so it, it, you, let's start with the co-main we're gonna finish it off with the championship 
Tony Ferguson returns, takes on uh, Charles Oliveira at a stacked card, UFC 256 this Saturday. Um, a lot of, yes, there's one more fight night. We said that, but a lot of, this is the end of the year. It's yeah. like when they say basketball starts in October. No, it starts on Christmas with the big games. <laughs> this is this is the end of the year card for the UFC, essentially. Um, stacked event in terms of just, there's a lot of fun stuff going on. But when these guys got added, you could tell a lot of people were like, I'm okay that we lost three title fights. If these mm-hmm. guys deliver, it's going to be good. Tony... Um, you know what? Uh, my big thing about it is his uh, footwork, his movement. He's so unorthodox, and he's so good at putting that forward pressure. And the thing about Charles Oliveira is that he is such a conventional striker. That guard is high. His hands are always right there by his head. And he needs a lot of that space at mid-range to get himself going. I think that Tony's movement, um, all of that, uh, the forward pressure, it takes a lot of that away from Charles. But Charles is not as powerful with one shot, I feel, as Justin Gaethje. That doesn't mean he doesn't have a solid punch. So this is still a very competitive fight on the feet. Is Tony as durable as he was before the Gaethje fight? I don't know. That's the big X factor. If he is, this could be a long night for Charles. If he is not, we could see a very, very epic upset. Now, grappling, I want to acknowledge it. They're both great at it. I do think Charles is better off of his back. I think very bluntly, if Tony gets him down, he has to be careful. If he is on bottom, he needs to get out of there. Because if there's a guy who can hang with, you know, they call him the Darce Knight. I love it. Whoever thought of that, I hope you got paid for that idea. Um, I think that he could pose a lot of problems for Tony. Even if he doesn't catch him, he's just going to control the grappling. And I, so I think this is a very tough fight for Tony. He's got all the weapons to do it, but Charles Oliveira is having his moment for a reason. I think that the best Charles Oliveira at this stage in the game could still po- pose problems for Tony. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is a tough one, man. Because, because yes, the big question on my mind and everyone's mind is how has Tony Ferguson, how is he going to fare? How, is he, how has he been? How is his, his, his chin? How's his brain? How's his body? How's everything after that Justin Gaethje fight? That was serious damage that he took on. And um, that's going to, we'll, we'll know, not right away, but, you know, by like end of round one, round two, if there haven't been any big shots that would like, you know, hurt anybody, but just like some peppering, we'll know how Tony Ferguson's going to fare. Um, damn, this is like... I don't even know what to say. This is this is a tough one. Um, you laid it out, of course, beautifully as always. And Charles Oliveira is running hot, right? So like he has a lot to prove. A win over Tony would be a game changer. And my my question is not only did is you know did did Justin hurt Tony in a way that he can't recover from, but is this like was that the peak of Tony? Is this the beginning of the you know, happens with all fighters, but for Tony, is this the moment where he starts sliding a little bit backwards and the, you know, the chance of getting that title shot is just getting further and further away. Um, I kind of feel like that's where we are. So 
I'm actually leaning towards Charles Oliveira here on this one. It kind of makes me feel weird doing so, but I think he's going to be able to submit Tony Ferguson. Ooh. I know. How, does it, how does it do it? When? I don't know how he does it, man. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> um, probably from his back. Round four. Um, I think Charles Oliveira submits Tony Ferguson. But I think he's going to hurt him first, and then he's going to submit him. Okay. Yeah, if he gets it that I'm like way, sad to say it. Anyway, if he gets it that way, I feel like he'll do a Brian Ortega, Cub Swanson, just a wild guillotine, Oof. and just those skinny arms of his. He just really gets that bone under the chin, and ah, like the you know, the I grinder, like, like that machine that crushed the Terminator in that old movie. Uh-huh. You know, the Terminator, oh. yeah. <laughs> that kind of that kind of squeeze on him. Uh, you know what though? I believe in Tony Ferguson. I do feel like he's had the time. I think that remember that Tony was getting ready for a fight and that when Michael Chandler didn't do it, then they seemed to turn their attention to Charles Oliveira. So, you know, not that Charles was probably eating and just enjoying um, some food, but I do believe there's an opportunity there that Tony will be a little more conditioned. I think he's had a little more time to just get himself dialed in. And you know what? I just believe in the power. I believe in his physicality. I know Charles has done a lot better, but Tony is a big step up from Kevin Lee. And I think that um, Tony would not take this fight if he didn't feel like he was uh, still able to take a shot. And I think that that time is coming. I just don't think it's here quite yet. So I'm going to go ahead... El Kukui, the boogeyman, will cast his shadow once again. Um, if this is a three-rounder. I'm going to go decision. I think that Charles will not go away quietly, but it'll be a good fight. So, Tony Ferguson, unanimous. Oh I picked round four. What am I thinking? It's okay. <laughs> I know. Um, it's like yeah, it's got to be a five-rounder. They, they might just decide right then and there that they're going to just keep going. Yeah, it's like um, the, so it's round like three, the, thanks for correcting me, Double G. You're just like, going to let me walk off into the sunset with that one. <laughs> I helped you. I, I, I missed it completely, to be honest. I was just oh, so man. focused. Okay. Uh, all, right. all right, so round three. Uh, I'm going to change mine to a submission by Charles <laughs> Oliveira, round three. All right, all right. Um, let's get to the title fight. Uh, Davis and Figueredo, Brandon Moreno. Three weeks ago, Brandon's had roughly about an hour and a half, two hours more time to rest and relax than <laughs> Davison. A lot of time. I mean, you know, two hours, that could be a lot. You know, you get a good TV show on Netflix and you're good. Yeah, that matters in the sports book world, right? That's <laughs> exactly. But um, you, the fact is, quick turnarounds. Uh, for me, Davison's weight cut. Uh, Brandon Moreno technically has the same issues, but I feel like Davison is like, He's the guy you're more worried about doing that twice in that span. Um, I imagine that, you know, look, they figured it out Saturday night. They didn't need a lot. They're, they knew they had to monitor it if you're going to do this. Yeah. You know, so I think they knew that going in before any paperwork was signed. Uh, compared to Perez, I think the big thing for Brandon Moreno is that he is more aggressive. I think that Davison is the better striker. Whereas I think it was more even with Alex Perez. I think that Brandon's not a slouch, but I think that Davison's length, his power, like we talked about uh, just recently, is going to be there for him. I think that for Moreno, it's the grappling. 
I'll tell you right now, I've seen Moreno put dudes down in combat jiu-jitsu. He's got that kind of uh, acumen. Um, and when I mean put you down, I mean like he got TKOs in a jiu-jitsu tournament, Natalie. Mm, wow. he, you know, uh, open palm, but you know. Oh, the fact, palm, yeah, calm yeah, striking, yeah. Yeah, the fact is he's got that level. And I think that um, on the mat, if he gets on top of Figueredo, that could lead to a lot more problems. A lot more than Perez brought is my just general point stylistically. Now, um, I think that Davison, similar to kind of how we talked with the Lima, you keep this at mid-range, that really is going to start to favor him because I think that he's got the kind of sting on his punches that can really start to frustrate Moreno. I think that Moreno, you know, similar, you gotta, you're going to have to take some hard shots. You're going to have to step into the fire to really close the distance and really just take all of that flashiness away from Figueredo and make it a dirty fight, get in there physically. And that's where you're really going to start to see that grittiness of the assassin baby take over. And I think that if he gets him down and he starts doing that effectively, then we're in for a long night for uh, the champion. But, um... Yeah, Figueredo is very talented, and if he gets on top of uh, Moreno, if he gets the right positions on him, he we all know he could take him out too. This is very interesting. The weight cut is the thing that 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 um, weighs on me most. Um, but for me, Figueredo, okay, Brandon Moreno is amazing. He's I love the guy. He's super gritty, super tough, very talented. Um, but I think Figueredo is just just that champion right now that cannot be beat no matter what. And I feel like you're just kind of feeding him um, opponents for him to, you know, chew up and spit out, you know, respectfully. Uh, so Figueredo is just bigger, tougher, stronger, faster, you know, mentally. He's so fast mentally, like the way he, he reacts, the way he um, shoots offense, uh, shoots, uh, you know, employs defense. It's really impressive to see. And I don't imagine, I can't think of a fighter right now that could do anything to stop that apart from maybe the great Demetrius Johnson. So, um, it's, it's kudos to both, especially Moreno. Like he must be super excited to just be like, boom, three weeks later like not even three weeks later right the next day or that night they're like you're getting title shot in three weeks okay go let's go that's an amazing opportunity no one would turn it down um and so i think the only advantage he has not the only advantage but the biggest advantage he has here is that it's going to be a tougher weight cut for figueredo um, but i don't think it's going to be enough and so i'm i'm seeing figueredo doing another quick finish like round two or three tko i'm going to go round three tko um, I think he's just bigger, stronger. That, that those heavy hands. He's just a much, much more highly skilled um, fighter than than anybody in that division right now. Even though Brandon Moreno is is amazing. <sighs> yeah, I got Figueredo too for a lot of the same reasons. I just think that it's such a, um, you know, uh, I just feel like he puts it together. He's got more dangerous weapons and he's more effective at getting them there. I think that. Um, He's no slouch in the jiu-jitsu, so I think that, you know, he's prepared to, you know, not out-grapple Moreno, but, you know, it's a lot easier to stifle and get to your feet than it is to, like, try to submit a guy as good as him. 
So I think he's prepared there. And I think that in the striking, we've seen that he's probably one of the best guys uh, in the game right now at 125 pounds. So, uh, yeah, I got to go Figueredo too. I think that he's just got the two weapons as opposed to the great jiu-jitsu of Moreno. So I think that's what we're going to see. I think that he's, like you, I think he's going to break him down. I see a finish toward the middle of the fight I think that Moreno is going to be hard to put away but yeah I think that uh, Figueredo is going to get the job done right there so I'm with you okay we made it Natalie another (laughs) awesome show I'm not even gonna like keep it going but next week can you believe it we made it the final UFC event of 2020 Essentially going to be the last show of 2020. How are you feeling about it? I can't believe that this year is already almost over. Like, for a moment, if you can. Forget about the pandemic. <laughs> like, just the year in general. just went by so fast. Um, but then when you add that back into the equation, it's like, whoa. We have had a heck of a ride, all of us, in this on this planet. And, uh, you know... Um, it's not quite over, but you can see a little bit of the sun. There's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So we all just got to hang tight and, uh, you know, God bless MMA for for keeping us entertained. I just feel like there's going to be a global emotion that we feel just to flip that calendar over. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think that's the same in MMA is what I keep thinking of. It's like, you know what? Next year may even be hard, but it won't be 2020. Yeah, there, <laughs> that's, there that's, will never be another 2020, man. Well, literally. <laughs> but, oh, but I, mean, yeah, I know, I know, literally. I know. Um, uh, Wonder Boy, Joff Neal's a great fight. That's a very fun welterweight scrap. Uh, that's going to be good. I think that one could go the distance. So we'll get into that. Um, guys, thank you for listening We'll be back next week. I will be on location in Vegas for UFC 256. So follow me at Double G on TV. Interviews, backstage, all that good stuff. That's where I post all the the good stuff. And we will be back to recap everything next week. Take care.